but I'm excited to be back and talking with you. It feels so much longer than the actual time. Well, it's been like slightly longer than <laughs> two weeks since we've recorded, but uh, it really feels more like two months. So has anything changed in the last two weeks? Feels like it's been a while. So um, within our country or society, it feels like something must have happened. Yeah, I don't know. Uh I'm guessing something happened because there's this weird like weight lifted off my chest. Uh, something this past week must have, uh, you know, some kind of revelation or, or change uh, may have occurred. I think there was, there was an, an election. Do you know about this? Um, I was dancing with the stars this week. Were we voting? I know we voted for something, but I don't think it was a, television show though a television personality certainly factored in somehow uh finally getting them off the air or something deplatforming oh was it the weight of fascism being lifted from your soul Mm -hmm. you know that might be it uh though the weight of the person themselves could have also been it (laughs) pretty hefty uh pretty hefty guy with some hefty (laughs) fascism we did it, man. We're on the other side of this. Uh, uh, yeah, I no can't. President-elect. I know all the votes aren't in. I know they'll recount Georgia, but fuck it. I mean, it's it's done. All right, all right. So I guess just to kind of eschew any of this, so the people who are screaming recount, sure, there's there's fairness in going over and making sure all the yeah. votes are here. But Georgia will like, be automated. The rest. the unlikeliness that. Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Nevada uh, all have to be recounted and are all going to go the other direction is just so astronomically unlikely. And if just a single one of those stays, uh, then then it's basically it's, it's all good still. Like we just need, you know, well, I, I guess Michigan and Wisconsin also have to stay, but uh, the fact that you have to get – you're going through five states there and you need a majority of them overturned, uh, it's just the most unlikely shit in the world. Yeah, maybe it'll be done by the time this releases Friday. I hope uh, I hope we have an even clearer picture. This will be really embarrassing. It'll be really embarrassing if this releases and it gets overturned in the, in the courts by the time this comes out. We're having a victory party. What an awkward episode next week will be. Yeah, but I mean, the whole world is, is celebrating right now, so it'll be like yeah. quite the come down. Everyone's going to hit the <laughs> bottle if this uh, nightmare ends up resurfacing. You know, there are so many other factors that really significant things like getting a woman VP who's likely to become president in the course of the campaign. If anything bad happens, uh, God forbid, but uh, something like that, it didn't even set in for a few hours till I looked at Ezra and um, we always tell her Trump's not very nice and I told her it was over. She's like, did the not nice guy win? No, no. Um, we did the right thing this time for you. And there's a woman president. And suddenly she wants to be president. Like, even aspirationally to see that in a young girl isn't something they had. Like, that's not anything any generation has had in America. It's so, a uh, beautiful thing um, and undervalued because there's so much other bullshit. Yeah, well, it's and it's really wonderful to see that progression happen and i think that's the important thing to take away is that even if like it's a it's a kind of small victory and a kind of like reset to status quo in some ways it is also so much more and and we see like the incremental changes like that and 
you know, America's not the most progressive country in the world as much as we tell ourselves otherwise. Uh, you know, it's not the bastion of freedom, but it it has the ability to be, and, you know, it, it is only getting better over time, uh, I think. You know, even yeah. looking back 10, 20, 50 years ago or whatever, you know, we're, we're constantly making the right move moves forward and even on the the smaller end of scales on statewide scales we'll see here we're we're seeing that states are leading the charge and other changes uh i was i don't know about you but i was elated to see that oregon decriminalized all hard drugs which is uh an incredible step forward in rehabilitation the war on drugs has been really the only war on our soil that's had like an impact the last 40 years like that's that's like a major um, event for us and that we're moving past that in some way, like going back from like Billy holiday, like it began like with, with like segregation and uh, those racist ideas. So to start pulling that away is super impressive, I think. And we had to believe five more States, at least uh, legalized marijuana in this election as well, which also is good. All, yeah. Well, it's just, and you see that those, and that's those changes happening. Like the first two States to, do that was in 2012 and so here we are eight years later and we're we're seeing that change on a small scale you know start to uh, snowball and pick up speed and you know and really start to impact and it won't be long before we get a federal change overall and and that's the kind of small step things that we need to see as well when we see things like you know joe biden being elected president and kamala harris <laughs> making uh history as the first female vice president first uh african-american vice president first indian american vice president a lot of important steps right there um and we're seeing that like well like 90 of the 93 people that supported like medicare medicaid for all and were on that bill as co-sponsors they all got elected um we're starting to turn left and um we need to push the right left too and uh go left ourselves so uh, there's a lot of important work still to be done yeah. But we can celebrate now because fuck yeah, we did it. We got yeah. <laughs> we got Trump out, which is like the the big weight, and it feels like these other problems now are mentionable and solvable. It, Wait, it Trump installed there? Absolutely not. It is important to, of course, acknowledge that you're right. The fight isn't over, and uh, you know, we we definitely need to be as politically savvy and aware as we have been the last four years for the next four years going forward and <laughs> on and on after that. But you know, and obviously Trump is, you know, as we say, the symptom and not the the problem itself. But you know, God, let's let's take a moment and celebrate. You know, let's launch the the, the fireworks and you know go out dancing in the street for for just a moment here because it really did feel like uh, a, a long shot. Still, it felt like an inescapable nightmare, and uh, just like th- the most extended, embarrassing, you know. <laughs> hellscape that you could imagine really like i couldn't i I mean i've said it before i couldn't listen to that dude for for even like two minutes like i i I, it was painful to do it was painful for me to stay informed as an american these past four years i i hated every second of it but it was obviously crucial to do but i just i'm i'm looking forward now to not hating myself for the first time when i watched (laughs) Joe Biden speak the other day, I felt like a, a tinge of patriotism. I saw the American yeah. flag and didn't view it as a symbol co-opted by far-right, you know, hate groups. I was I like... Didn't, yeah, I didn't feel an aversion immediately uh, to, to that kind of nationalism, which is still on show. Um, 
And I felt more comfortable with it, I should say, that I, it was done for the right reason. It's, it's presidential. There should be a flag there for once. Uh, it matters. Yeah, well, just the, the idea of that symbol, like the, the symbol of Americanism, you know. Uh, Somehow taking it back is important, I think. Yeah, and again, you know, it's one of those things where it's, you know, wavered from time to time and, you know, leaned towards that area of nationalism. It's not an infrequent uh, thing to occur, but it's just nice to to be reminded that those ideas that we purport to be great about America are based in truth. They, you know, they just need to be restored to their dignity uh, every once in a while. I think the greatness is the possibility. Uh, America is the possibility that we can be great. Um, We just haven't been for four years. (laughs) No, certainly Um, not. (laughs) It's time to make America great again, Calvin. I I loved uh, Biden posting his uh, Instagram story with the, we did it hat right after that. We we made America great. Yeah. Um, So we're here to review the election process. I thought it was a little bit overlong. Um, It it dipped in a lot of places where I thought there could have been better writing, but um, uh, going to four seasons, total landscaping is, the best satire writing of this year. And I want to nominate the election for uh, film of the year. Long, longest running series. I don't even think we should call it a film. Uh, be anything Netflix has conceived. Um, very happy. Look, if, if we're going to tie it into movies and such, I have to say, I'm not excited to see anyone depict Donald Trump in anything. Cause it's just like, <sighs> First of all, it's unbelievable. Like no performance yeah. you give will like feel real in any sense because this whole thing has felt unreal uh, on a ridiculous level. But the story itself, I was I said this to a friend the other day, is that when when because this is also a very appropriate ending. But I thought at the same time when Trump got COVID that uh, that would have been a hilariously ironic ending to his story. Not not that I wished ill on him. I, I sincerely didn't because I want to see that bastard punished but god that that would have been just the most fucking ironic thing and i'll i'll take the four seasons landscaping though as the like the dingiest thing like the, the death I, place people are going to start making pilgrimages there i think you know we're already seeing, they are. we're already seeing some people heading out that way uh i saw another an article that said the guy who owns the the sex shop across the street has yeah. been getting non-stop calls asking if rudy giuliani is there and I feel bad for that guy, but at the same time, that's funny as shit. Yeah, from Bo Rat Toot in front of the um, total landscaping. Uh, I remember that guy was like the hero of nine eleven. Isn't that isn't that really like the sad legacy of Giuliani? That guy could have done yeah. anything, and he could have done anything, and he did this. <laughs> it's so pathetic. I mean, once you tie on to Trump's campaign, I feel like you get either dragged through the mud or you get you know I mean, we'll out see, of your we'll position. See. We'll see what happens to all of the jackasses who've. You I'm know, worried tied about their, that. Yeah, but. I mean, how many of them are going to become Fox News pundits? How many are going to, you know, just try and distance themselves and act like they had no idea this entire time? How many people are going to get kicked to the curb like they genuinely deserve to? <sighs> I was flipping between CNN and Fox. Not quite my choice, but I was with other company uh, who prefers those channels. So um, I I got to see a little bit of a different side of it. Uh, it was interesting watching Fox call things before CNN for Biden. Uh, that that was when I knew, I think, that things were changing. You, you can tell now, now, now that his uh, media outlet of choice has kind of turned against him and decided to 
report facts for the first time in four years um, right. that that the ship is sailing on Trump and the GOP is going to totally abandon him. And these next two months are like like it's just an entirely foregone conclusion for him. But uh, you know they're doing that so that they can try and kind of reset and act like they were never on the Trump train to begin with. Uh, and it also, I don't want to make it sound like this was all happy either. Like this was a devastating election, I think, for democracy. Like I felt like what I thought of America dying as I heard Trump talking that night. Uh, I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday night when he was accepting the election and saying that the votes didn't matter and to stop people's count, like. Telling people their votes that haven't been counted don't matter. That's the most absurd thing I've heard a president say. I, it's worse than anything he's done. What the fuck? It's it's such a weird rhetoric because it's, as usual with that side, like a very confusing and, and muddled idea. Like the, the the logic behind it, if I try and put my MAGA hat on for a second here... Oh, you didn't literally have to put that on. You could take that off. Now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Getting uncomfortable. The the idea being that they didn't want votes submitted after the end date of the election to to be being counted because those would be like illegal. But they don't understand that votes being counted now, days after the fact, are the mail in ballots that were already here and sitting, and they just are put off because the ones in person are prioritized yeah. in counting. Uh, it, it's a whole, like, just general ignorance of how the system works. Uh, mm -hmm. Shocker coming from the right. Um, but yeah, and, and, and so you can blow these ideas out of proportion and by, by, like, reducing them to these, like, tiny talking points and the average American uh, is only going to read headlines and hear what's going on. And so like when they hear the, and the repetition of fraud and issues with it, that, that's where the whole, and, and they've been hearing it for months, but of course, because Trump and the GOP have been railing against mail-in voting from the get-go uh, here. But it's nice to see that generally the, the, there's still faith enough in the system. Like they weren't able to demonize the system enough to derail it and, Oh, they, they tried. They did. They tried. That's the that's kind that's of the miraculous thing about all of this is that they did, they did everything in their fucking power to fuck up this election and make it Im impossible to decipher, so they could throw it to the courts and you know cheat their way in. They even rigged the the courts in their favor. Yeah, and, and by rushing in Amy Coney Barrett, but even that couldn't couldn't stop this. And and it 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 feels like it shouldn't have been as close as it was. Uh, that entire time and as we'll see now it wasn't exactly as close as it was you know <laughs> yeah it, wasn't but it was still it was still from a moral standpoint here from a logical standpoint it should have never been this close in in any way and it, <laughs> it just was goes terrifying to, i, I think it just I goes to show you how complacent the pe people who are privileged enough to not only not be affected by trump's presidency yeah. but not care enough to open their eyes and and judge with them like i've i've talked to family members who are still trump supportive and they'll just like hook on to like oh he's doing well for the stock market or like, like they despise him as a person but they'll still like silently support him because it benefits them or they've fallen victim to gop talking points about joe biden and the scariness of socialism or some bullshit 
Yeah, uh, that's the thing that I've encountered is uh, less socialism. They they just don't want that. Um, they don't know what it is. <laughs> they they can only define it by more government would be more socialism, more government programs, which is true. But uh, it it's not a socialist platform that we voted for. Oh yeah, obviously, and even if we did, like you know. <sighs> I don't know. I I wrote an article earlier this year about the the, the specters of socialism and the grapes of wrath and FDR's administration and how that ties in. And I still feel the same uh, that that people don't understand what that platform is, and it's just been boogeyman to to hell and back. But absolutely. And then it's things that people are complacent enough that they don't want to invest time in, in understanding politics, even on like a a, a very base level and it's impossible to talk with them sometimes like i'm just i'm exhausted from trying to convince people that that trump is a terrible person and i'm glad that i don't have to try and feel like like, like i don't feel yeah. an obligation to try anymore i feel bad that those those family members and friends will, will still kind of go forward and like not feel obliged to you know, engage in this still, uh, perhaps even more so because Biden is sure to be a very innocuous president. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so, sometimes you have to take those personal victories and, and, you know, like self-care, like that's, that's what the celebration moment is all about. Like, I'm just, I'm ecstatic to be relieved for even just a short while. As I was listening to Biden do his acceptance speech there, I thought, man, this guy's so fucking boring, and that's exactly what I need. I it was, mean, there was, there was nothing there other than what he's already presented. I, it I was, wasn't like it was somewhat vapid of a yeah. speech, but it was also it was kind of a a, a coming together, like like just this idea, yeah. this this message of unity was was so like welcoming to hear, and I think the right message to put forward. Uh, you know, I think it's a good thing not being surprised by your candidate, like not being like, uh, oh, there's going to be shock and awe articles. Our our president shouldn't feel like a clickbait machine. No, uh, and 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 that's the thing is that I, I did a little bit of trolling on like conservative subreddits to see what they thought, <laughs> and like their number one point was like, you know, well, well, there goes all of the you know media's you know views, all their viewership is going to tr- you know dr- drop. You know why why they hate trump so much he gave them so much attention it's like yeah but it wasn't that much more for one thing and also there's more important things than just you know how much attention they're getting <laughs> like it's their, not their like views. He, it's not like he helped them with half the country right like look, half look the country doesn't even trust media so. i know i know capitalism is inherently a, a kind of you know uh devouring you know ideology that just seeks to you know profit constantly but you know viewership is not the sole you know marker of that and there are still people running it (laughs) speaking of being devoured by capitalism in the market i've been watching a film festival doc new york city which is america's largest documentary film festival i did not know that uh i think i don't know about you but i have watched more documentaries this year than any other year I think that's true, even though I watch a lot anyway. I think that's... You do. You certainly do. But but I've I started discovering this year that I like documentaries way more than I thought I did. I think that's... I think anyone will find that there's so much more creative and there's so much more happening there than in, you know, narrative features right now. 
Well, also, I just I've I've rediscovered how great learning is this year in general. That's good. I like I like learning a lot now. I've learned. I just need to find the right things to learn about, and documentaries are one of the best format from which to learn because I agree they can be highly entertaining uh, as as well as informative. It, I feel like the way that movies have moved forward, how everything is so accessible and open to new markets everyone has a voice and documentary is the easiest thing uh, to give someone the capacity to shoot. Not everyone has like a great narrative feature on them, but everyone's surrounded by a world that's really fucking fascinated, fascinating. Like uh, everything going on outside is really interesting to me. Um, There's always something to document uh, whether or not you have like a celebrity figure and access to all their people, or you're just like um, filming what's going on locally in like a small dusty town. Uh, or maybe you're uh, going and uh, following a family who doesn't like live in housing. There's, there's infinite possibilities with documentary. Only well, and, and the important thing above all, I think, is the fact that you are archiving a time and moment, no matter what it is. You know, if it is something as innocuous as a, a you know, a personal experience. I, I think something you watched recently that I I know a little bit about was one that came out was, Dick Johnson is dead, right? Yeah, yeah and that, that was that one's a very like kind of personal like anecdotal thing of a of, of a one of a family experience not necessarily a a super important person but an everyday huh. joe uh having a a very normal experience but you know of a, in a very personal kind of way yeah um that's yeah that's the kind of invention that you could do like so uh the the director that had lost her mom to alzheimer's and then her mom was like slowly dwindling away until she didn't even know her and then she was just gone so she wanted to create like the video memories of her dad what was really striking to me was that um her dad kept saying things like i don't, I don't want to wait for like a heaven i don't know about why wouldn't my heaven be right here with you meaning his daughter like a that's exactly how I feel anyway. Like the people around me that I love and you know, like this whole thing, this website, that's why wouldn't that be my thing that I want to do? Right. Well, th- this idea, I guess this is getting into more of a philosophical thing, but I, I agree with that idea that if, if there is some kind of other divine plane, uh, I don't think our, our place on earth was designed to solely look forward to that next place. Like why wouldn't we just yeah. be there already <laughs> Then what's if, the if function is, of this, right? Right. Well, if if there is, assuming there is, then the prioritization of you know that place starts when you get there. In the meantime, I think your own heaven on earth is is what you should be aiming to achieve. I totally agree. Like, uh, well, I hit my four year recovery this year, but I mean, I've died a couple times. I, I, I kind of know what that feels like. I was gonna bring that up. Uh, if you weren't going to, because it's obviously an important achievement and you need to include some kind of applause here, man, because that's absolutely wonderful. Uh, You know, I've only known you since, you know, post recovery and and, and that new life. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's obvious from, from everything I've, I've learned about you and, you know, just the experience of growing and becoming close together, how much, you know, of a, New, new person you came to be on the other side of that and it really is an inspiration to see you continue to climb that mountain and and summit those challenges every day i just think about it how i i went under like the day that uh trump was elected like uh, uh then i had like a, I had darkness for two months and i i don't know like uh, something about movies kind of brought me back we have a whole piece on site 
called My Rebirth in the Cinema of Memories that is one of the ones I feel most passionate and personal it's a, about. It's a touching piece and so personally insightful. Great read. Everyone should read that. Go there if you want exploitative coma pictures, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, there's something about documentaries, too, where I want that record of memory and, like you say, an education, where I think it's the most important thing to frame what you know and what can be past as truth, especially in this time that's become post-truth. I think that's why both of us are so uh, uh, maybe like slanted toward like learning something from our movies is it, there's so much being passed out there that just isn't true anymore. And, and we kind of want to connect with the reality and learn something new. Mm-hmm. Doc- documentaries are one of the best formats to get to know people, what people are like in particular, because film generally, as we know, it is such a fictional medium, but yeah. you know, there's, there's an in- inherent honesty and truthfulness to to documentaries obviously there's an element of fabrication in some ways they're still constructed uh narratives of their own yeah and and there's an artistic element to that but generally the idea that is that a documentary is supposed to be getting at something that is reflective of the real world or in some historical sense you know and I, just the intriguing and entertaining prospect of its uh, presentation is, is always uh fascinating to me and i think there's been some really good ones this year i've seen yeah. i've seen new documentaries this year which is a rarity <laughs> for me even the ones that i had issues with I, I still thoroughly enjoyed there's been so many great ones and i just agree that there's there's so much room in a documentary too between creativity and truth and all of our award-winning movies are biopics anyway so uh, i mean would you rather watch that someone performing it or uh, maybe you could still get someone to do something performative um, I've watched like half of Agnes Varda the last month and uh, hers are obviously so staged, but they're, they're heightened and they're cinematic in their documentary and their cinema verite. Uh, there's so much else you could do. Why, why not do all of those things? I mean, it, it can be a fiction. It can be a document of the place. It can be other people. Um, I think like Uncle Yanko is the one that stood out to me, which I'll get into later this month, but uh, uh, we might do like a Varda week. Um, until then, I'm, I'm just looking at a selection from Doc NYC. I've, I've already seen eight or nine movies. Uh, do you have any you want to particularly highlight here? I assume you don't want to go over all of them. <laughs> I definitely don't want to highlight maybe next year. Um, what, <laughs> what are the other ones? Here? That's a, a documentary about the Eagles and their Super Bowl push. Uh, we already know that they <laughs> end up winning it. Um, there's no curiosity. It has nothing interesting to say. It's just Eagles fans eventually winning a Super Bowl and being happy about it. Fuck that movie. Um, I think it's just because you hate the Eagles and and you didn't want them to win that year. I don't know why, because the the Patriots uh, were the the ironic. uh, You know, everyone didn't like the Patriots that year. But what's as as detestable as some of the that is, it is kind of funny in the rear view looking back at the chaos that philadelphia just descended into in the immediate it's not aftermath. interested no <laughs> no i just mean like going back and, and yeah. like finding compilation clips on youtube like we we did a little bit of that when when philadelphia helped us take the presidency again here because <laughs> you know it's it's nice that they redeemed themselves a little bit in crucial moments like that <laughs> it's nice that it says to 
redeeming features are a meth head mascot for hockey and uh, winning the presidential election. Look, the Philadelphia, Philadelphia has a complex history of <laughs> they're, they're a crucial, you know, foundational aspect of this country where everything came together and it also often where it comes apart. Well, <laughs> the, you can't make a Seattle dog without Philadelphia cream cheese, so thanks for <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're a city of contradictions, the city of brotherly love, but also, don't piss anyone off, otherwise you're gonna get your ass kicked. <laughs> what a shitty place. Uh, uh, <laughs> the documentary doesn't have any interest in any of that. It just cares that they won the Super Bowl. So whatever. I'm, I'm sure happened. Philadelphia also feels that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what they think. Uh, there's also uh, one of it called Off the Road that I kind of like. I haven't found any other bad ones other than maybe next year. So Off the Road about like Baja, California, which is like just south of the border. Um, there, right as you like enter there, there's like a portrait graffiti saying like a, there's dreams on this side of the border too. Um, then there's this like small just hodunk town in the middle of like a, off a desert street like off the road is referencing the place, and they do like Baja races there. So this follows three fans of that sport. Um, it's most interesting because it's a musical and it's a western in theme and subject. Um, it has uh, these singers who are dressed in like flamboyant gear and they create like uh, heroic stories to the people involved in the story. Um, I wish I had more interest in the actual Baja races, the opposite problem of the last movie. Uh, just, just not that much curiosity about the actual event, but it does a good job framing the people. Nice. Uh, was there any more? I, I haven't actually watched uh, any of these. You're, you're bringing us all the documentaries today. Um, there's, there's quite a few more. <laughs> uh, there's a Casa My Home, which follows a Romanian family who lived out in the wilderness until government intervention comes in. And they try to like pick them up and relocate them into the city. And it's one of those movies where you're kind of joining a family like mid like cultural shift, which is fun. Like you think of like Wolfpack and a few others where it's like this family's been left alone forever. And now we get to experience them with all their odd idiosyncratic idiosyncratic behaviors and uh, it's just fun to see like what they're going to do but then it takes a more serious turn as the kids start to split up and some of them are interested in the uh, city life and not all of them believe what their father always told them now because they're exposed to something uh, very interesting movie beautifully shot um, I might review that later um, <laughs> there's a, a Frank Zappa documentary that's really good um, American rap star I, I haven't really understood like the mumble rap scene so uh, useful information for me. Um, I may come back with more next week. Sounds good. Uh... <laughs> this is usually where we add an awkward transition. I thought you had something else. I'm, I'm desperately searching for the topics again because I thought there was something in between. Where'd it go? California dreaming. Oh, oh. Yeah, that's speaking a... of awkward pauses, I went to California <laughs> for a week and we couldn't do a podcast. Yeah, well, it just happened to coincide, which is, you With know, the election and everything. Well, yeah, the election, and I had just gone on a trip as well, which was very relaxing and recentering, and and so it just made sense to take a a week off and uh, get away from everything and uh, our own kind of holiday, if you will. Um, I went to yeah, I went uh, Southern California, La Quinta um, area, which it was nineties the whole time. Wow. Uh, except for some wind storms pushing into the 80s, but uh, man, it was I'm hot. a little chilly here as well. I'm trying to turn the heater up now because it is uh, 
getting cold up north. I've just come back in 30s and 40s now in Seattle uh, from that much of a contrast. Uh, I I had a lot of fun there. Like some of the best memories. I like I, I, I like our topic for this week because it kind of forms around what I was feeling there. Like you try so hard to vacation. <laughs> I, I put so much effort into like, oh, let's get my wife out to go do something fun or let's get my daughter engaged in something. And, you know, you spend half the trip in the pool and that ends up being your highlight. Or uh, my favorite moment was like biking off with my wife to this Mexican restaurant. Like not even like the highest end thing, but it was open air and we had our bikes sat outside. Like it was some call me by your name thing. <laughs> uh, it felt you know, it felt scenic and fun. And we just sat in there and the rain started coming down and the wind started blowing so hard that our, our nachos were flying against the wall. And we, when, we ended up getting it to go. When did the homoerotic sex begin? <laughs> Later. Uh, <laughs> but it was a good time though. And I, I feel like just like riding the food back in like a rainstorm is also kind of romantic too. And like that whole scene, like the, the mountains are so dramatic. You feel like you're inside a Western. So I just wanted to talk for a minute about how hard I was trying to enjoy vacation. Yeah. Oh, no, I think uh, the the choice of this topic this week kind of just serendipitously came together, uh, that it just happened to fit our topic here. It was a film that both kind of came across our radars uh, 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 unintentionally, like of themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and, and so I just kind of, we had a different topic lined up, but I pitched this and I'm like, yeah, let's just do it. Let's just roll with it. And neither of us had seen it before, but, no. uh, just kind of worked Cause I also took a vacation recently, which was so life affirming. I went camping out at, uh, Orcas Island, uh, oh, up North, which is, uh, for people who aren't regular Washingtonians here, uh, up by the border of Canada, practically in Canada, actually. And it's a little tiny island you got to take a ferry to. And it was super, super nice. Camped for, for two nights there. Uh, it just it, it, the exact perfect time, too. Like, the first night when we when we went to sleep, it was a little cold. I woke up, like, three times because it was just it was cold and it was very hard to regulate my body temperature properly. But the second night, it was perfect. Like, just fell asleep. Had the best sleep of my life. And, you know, it was just great. And I, I spent hours just staring into the campfire at the middle of the night because it's just is so relaxing and, and hypnotizing and, you know, centering. I, I, I totally zenned out that trip. And it was such a, a wonderful little town, uh, you know. And, and the most surprising thing I found, because my hometown is not that far from it, uh, which was very conservative town, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of disheartening to re- visit just in election time. Yeah. Uh, and seeing all the Trump and Culp signs around, uh, but Orcas Island, <laughs> I found <laughs> Orcas Island, I found was a very liberal town full of hippie people, which was great. Absolutely. There was Black Lives Matter signs everywhere. There's there's Biden Harris support all over the place. I'm like, this place is great. Yes. <laughs> I had a I, I got to go to I, I sat down at eight for the first time somewhere uh, at a Me couple too. of places. Yeah. Because now that measures are actually in to kind of properly social distance, I felt safe enough to try it and do it. And it was really, God, it was wonderful experience just to sit down and eat again, man. It felt really good. Although the first time I was rained out and the nachos were blown. (laughs) The Uh, the second time I went to one of those delis in the desert where you walk in and you see that um, the biggest thing is Sinatra has been there, which I think think that just means you're a deli in the desert at some rate. I got, I got to show you this. California, so, Nevada. 
so one of the places you'll appreciate this uh it was a little like sandwich shop i went to and up in orcas island they had little tiny personal sized muffaladas oh wow <laughs> and oh and damn people probably don't know this as well but i did uh muffaladas are a new orleans delicacy a special uh ham uh kind of sandwich with olive salad made from a particularly italian style bread and uh you can't really get it authentically outside of New Orleans, except for a couple places I found. One of which was a food cart here in Portland that I took Calvin to, and he, it was so good. He absolutely loved. <laughs> it, was a, it was the highlight of the trip. I don't even think he cared about seeing me anymore when he had that sandwich. That's I didn't care about much. Uh, <laughs> that was a damn good sandwich. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, uh, I had a Reuben there, and I was so fucking cold that I, there was wind blowing at that point too. That. Both of my both of my meals out this year ruined by weather, but that's fine. The food was great both times. I had empanadas at the Mexican place, just delicious. That's all you need. All right, I suppose we shouldn't get too off topic before we turn this into another breakfast or food podcast. <laughs> it's fucking cold in here. I'm gonna get a sweater. It is. I'm telling you, it's fucking cold. You gotta turn your heater on. I don't what know happened? Why you're, you're still acting like you're wearing. Uh, you're living in California with your t-shirt on right now. I'm I'm wearing full flannel right now. Got a blanket wrapped around me. Got my pants tucked into my socks so I don't let any of the heat get out of me here. It is uh, just blisteringly cold out here in the Pacific Northwest. But, you know, I like it. I, I like that aspect about it. I like the change in weather uh, because I think feeling the warmth of a heater is a nice relaxation. I love seeing the change of the colors outside. Uh, what what is that a uh, shirt you're wearing there, Calvin? Put on a new hoodie. It says uh, hood, hood, sport. hood sport. I don't know. Down where our cabin is, uh, it's a it's <laughs> another thing. We'll have to get you out there sooner or later. We gotta we got to get together and see each other and and do stuff. And I don't know. We'll go camping ourselves eventually too. Yeah. Well, this movie's that we've chosen is all about serendipity. I think that's where most of its comedy is mine from. Um, so it seemed like the best possible pick because it also combines both of our interests, which are, um, for me, just exclusively French, <laughs> French films. French, uh, French movies, yes. <laughs> and for you, uh, silence and slapstick comedy and um, just a certain style uh, that, that I think comes and stems from things that you really appreciate. Yeah, uh, obviously. Uh, so this is the first uh, film from uh, director Jacques Tati, which uh, demonstrates his famous uh, Monsieur Hulot character. Uh, I assume that Calvin's going to fuck up the pronunciation, even though I just did it right there. But, <laughs> and, and he's obviously like a, an inspired physical comedy character of the kinds of uh, Chaplin or Keaton or such, uh, but also obviously incredibly all his own. You know, Tati had a background in, in miming that he uh, used to kind of exemplify his comedy here. And I think that was, that's obviously just the biggest highlight for me about uh, Monsieur Hulot's holiday is that Tati is just such a fully realized character and performer here. And he has this unique and defined personality <laughs> that's just impossible not to be bowled over by. I like so much about Hulo, especially that he's kind of like slanted over so awkwardly. I mean, yep. uh, he's so diagonal. I mean, he's <laughs> rarely upright. He's always like leaning over to talk to someone or 
falling over a box or um, doing something with his height that's unnatural, uh, either with like a tennis racket or he's like uh, just falling. I, lo- over I love himself. the I love like, the tennis racket bit where he learns the trick. He's like, and, and he's like, like he's pumping his arm before he does his serve. That's that's a hilarious bit to me because he does it in this very dramatic way. It's like <laughs> there are those like important, I mean, silent comedies that are stemming from like sports right like Chaplin has his boxing and then you know you have like the college um you could probably name them faster than the, me the, the freshman is the obvious one from Harold Lloyd where he is a big football star that's yeah that's probably one, the the most silent comedy sport movie <laughs> there's just a legacy that he's playing into with that that's really funny um I I like all of his mannerisms I like that he's always in the periphery so uh we it's it's like an extension of what silent comedy should be because not only do the words not matter, but the person's not a cl- close enough to anyone to really dialogue. Like he just lives in the periphery of other people's vacations. He kind of doesn't even experience his own. It's kind of what I went through in California. Like you kind of go somewhere and you're just on the periphery of other people's lives trying to um, find entrance for yourself where you can. Well, and it really is like kind of an, an inheritor of the silent comedy while obviously not being uh silent specifically because one of the the very special things about tati here is that he is a, a great use of of sound effects in particular throughout mm-hmm. uh, i think the one that stands out the most from this film is when he when he steps on the taut uh rope and he and he flings yeah. himself into the uh i think it's like a little river there or whatever and it's just obvious like spring sound effects it's, he he puts in exaggerated sound effects for things to add like the perfect kind of comic cherry on top of things uh, my favorite was, uh, I don't know, it was weird about it. They had that door to like the kitchen area mm. in the hotel and it just made this interesting sound. It wasn't even like inherently like humorous. It just, it tickled me. I can't even it's, recreate it, which makes me sad, but it was just this 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 queer sound that I just dug. I, I was I was all about it. <laughs> There's so many of those little touches, especially when you get into the two follow-up pictures. There's there's so many in like playtime. Like you you did yeah you did a little bit more watching than I did after this. Like you really dove into uh, a couple more. There's not that many. Uh, no, I, I did the three that that are films. prominent. So, yeah, he uh, did. He did like one other feature, I think, which was called Traffic, and then he did yeah. a couple shorts. Uh, and and I intend to see them all now because I was just so yeah, endeared, endeared by Tati here. And and he has other films that don't feature Hulo as a character, but it's yeah. the same style. His but, first film was like about a postman, which is yeah. interesting because there's like a you get to like the ending of this. It's a postcard ending. Like it's just a shot of the beach and it's framed like a postcard with like a stamp and it, you know, it's referencing. So so what's interesting is I actually uh, watched a different version than you did. I watched oh, you, the original. Oh, you did? I watched the theatrical cut, which is 12, like 12 minutes longer is why. Okay. Uh, so in the original version, there's, there's even different dialogue. There's more dialogue in the original. They cut right. out a lot of it. I, I, I watched some of the featurettes afterwards to kind of get a, an idea of yeah. some more things about him. So yeah, I, I agree. And And looking at it, I'm kind of like especially when they talked about the differences because Tati went later in life and recut the film as people did. Cha- Chaplin did that too. He did yeah. that and recut his um, films. It was, it was kind of a continual thing for Tati, especially. I mean, he, he never really felt anything was finished. He just kept touching things up. Like Mon, Mon Uncle, he, he went and did an American cut uh, for some reason. So he reshot key scenes. So, so they would be on American streets and have American voicing. It's out uh, uh, He's a perfectionist. He wants weird. one of the weird them. one of the weird things with the editing of 
uh, Monsieur Hulot's Holiday is that uh, in the 70s, that you know that scene where the kayak kind of closes in on itself mm-hmm. uh, in the film? Well, he went and reshot footage in the 70s after seeing Jaws. Was that even in your version? I think no, it might be in the second no, or third version. It's in like the third version. This is the second okay. version that was recut uh, in the 60s, uh, was, the, was, was the one you saw, and I saw the original one from the 50s. Was yours still well-preserved? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it looked great. It was just... Mine had a few more jokes that, that yeah. yours wouldn't have. Uh, and I looked those up too. There's some scenes with dialogue. Yeah, like some of the jokes they cut out uh, when I was watching over it. I was like, oh man, I really like that one. Like there's one where he goes to, he, he, he goes like kiss the, the hand of a woman and in, falls in the, in the ocean. water. There. <laughs> yeah, and, and the waves come and, and knock him over. That one's really great. Or when yeah. he's, he's he's playing tennis and, and the ball gets knocked into the yard of like a priest or whatever. And it's just a funny interaction. Uh, you don't lose anything like I guess in the overall by cutting these scenes because there's you know like no one part is any more important than the other I'd say it really is like a loosely connected string of of vignettes uh there's there's also not a joke I mean there's like it's philosophically fucking hilarious I think like it's philosophically the funniest movie I've seen in a long time because the joke isn't really a punchline it's more like Life is really fucking funny, and so are we, and we should laugh at ourselves. Well, one of the nice and unique things about Tati here is that there, there's an inherent wholesomeness to everything here. There's no yeah. destruction or mean-spiritedness or kind of like know. like coyness. There's there's no like indulgent violence, you know, or, or kind of mania that you get from a lot of other slapstick comedies that just kind of go, you know, whole hog on beating the right. crap out of one another or giant like chase scenes and stuff or big destructive you know train explosions or whatever it's it's really just like small things like there's there's a scene of him walking around the room with his riding boots on and stuff and and he's kind of inspecting things and as he leans over he's got the the riding whip in his hand and it just kind of you know off tilters the kilters the portraits in the room (laughs) yeah and it's slow funny things that's funny like, like that's the thing I keep thinking about and smiling though. Like it, it doesn't have to be a laugh right away because it stuck with me. And there's, there's something just inherently funny about the small change or uh, I like the jaws thing, maybe the most obvious, right? Like he takes the boat and uh, steps into the kayak. But, but for me, like the most significant shot was so simple. Like uh, he was just sitting in the kayak and uh, trying to paint the sides and he put it in the water. Oh, and yes. Somehow he knew the fucking tide of the water. What a, it would what a, come back to him. Who knew? How do you just thinking about that? think about that from like a filmmaking perspective? That's such an yeah. impressive <laughs> shot because there's like you're you're depending on nature here to wash that right. Like I, I was thinking about it watching. I'm like, there's got to be something like weighing the bucket right so that it, it floats properly and that you spread that. And even then, you have to do a ton of takes just to get it to wash correctly here because it is they're just they're filming on the ocean there like there's no control to that scene so and it's such a great joke it's a great little thing yeah. you know so uh you know hats off to that one there that's one of the, the highlight moments of the movie for sure that's um, one of my favorite silent jokes i think just <laughs> because he's so confused by this natural miracle that's kind of like happening with this bucket like it goes to the right place every time on either side of him mm-hmm really really great and again just like lots of small jokes throughout that like the whole thing is basically just like joke after joke after scene after joke yeah uh you know 
to a point where like there there were some times where I felt a bit tired of the movie, but I was also very relaxed by it. Like it was just it was very comfortable to watch. You could easily throw this on. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll throw this in with our like growing list of background movies, as as we're calling it, I guess. Where it's like wallpaper could, movies, or wallpaper movies, yeah, yeah. So, something like that. Obviously, like being of the silent mold, I'm I'm definitely more inclined to to this kind. But uh, you know, it just has uh, beyond that, it has this very kind of like atmospheric and relaxing quality to it because one of its great qualities is that it captures that idea of a kind of beach vacation serenity so so exquisitely. And also the part where you can't really enjoy the beach. I mean, I, I understand that part of it. Well, I live in Washington, so all of our beaches yeah, are unenjoyable. Beaches. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're cold. Uh, and they're, you know, they're rough sand, they're cold. Um, but there's there's something about that that I really connect to. Like, I couldn't, well, I couldn't find my vacation, obviously, because of the election going on. And I just couldn't even get myself to watch a movie. Like, I had, like, a pact with myself that I wasn't able to laugh. Like, I, I couldn't even enjoy, like, my moments uh until the election ended and this is what i got like you know right around then right after then and i was like this is the thing that kind of saved me from kind of spiraling into the new 24-hour news cycle that mm-hmm. day so uh, thank god for this i i do have a lot of fond beach visiting memories because we'd always as a family take a trip to the the oregon coast uh down by uh tillamook a little bit uh, further south from there where we go to to a beach it was actually a we had a family friend who had a little a-frame on like on the beach itself like just a two-minute walk and it's so nice it's such a nice uh trip nice environment to be on uh Mm. i believe it was it wasn't last year but the year no it was last year it was last year for my my fiance's uh anniversary we went to seaside for a vacation as well and that was a nice time uh it was this time of year so it was a little gloomy out but still going and seeing the beaches it's so it's such a beautiful environment uh i feel bad for people who live in the middle of the united states because they don't know what the the beach is like as as well yeah i can't imagine not living close to the water (laughs) it's It's so funny it's unfathomable to me well you know i lived in ohio for a few years so i went and uh well i'm a lake person like other people have beaches and i'm really a lake guy i love that serenity and calm connectedness of like a neighborhood on a lake that's what i want mm-hmm. uh, i like fishing too so lake's ideal for me but but i i went to indiana and uh, my grandpa said do you want to go swim i'm like where how do you swim <laughs> he took me there and it was completely a man-made beach like it's it's so fabricated i i feel like a, I I feel like people need to get the real experience too uh there, there's so much more to a beach um and I just like the beachside feeling too, like the coastal vibe of of this, and especially where is this set? Like, is it? It's it. Is it in France still? Yeah, of course it's in, in France okay. still. France has beaches because it's because <laughs> it's like post war France, and that's what like the whole illusion with the fireworks, everything's about. So yeah, uh, oh, uh, I was going to say, I lost it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I got, it, I got it again. Okay, it um, was that one, one of the other maybe. one of the other great things about Monsieur Hulot's Holiday is that it is a beautiful film in terms of its setting as well. It's it's framed uh, beautifully. It's not just a great comedy. Uh, it it has this uh, kind of portraitic 
beauty to it like it's in the way it yeah. frames the ocean like the, the opening shots themselves of just like the beach and you got like the waves kind of cresting up against this boat on the on the beach there they're just beautiful shots to take in and they remind you of the inherent natural beauty of of the ocean and the beach sides and such and why there's such a a magnetic location for which to you know tell such a story to begin with it feels like every shot's very composed and where he puts people is very interesting they're never like the center of a close-up shot i mean the way people interact and the way they are peripheral to each other is very interesting uh it, it shows more of a natural relationship despite being really funny about doing it there's a there's a lot of things going on with the people that are kind of staying alongside mr uh Monsieur Hula, uh as well uh, oh, you they, got the pr- pronunciation wrong, motherfucker. Uh, I know. What's this hula? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping it'd slip, but now nah, you got me. <laughs> but yeah, the 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 people who are staying there as well, they all have these individual personalities. Like there's the the kind of politically active guy who, who's kind of oh, yeah. on there as well. There, there's the stock trader. Oh, there, there's one gag with the stock trader guy where he's like, he's got a call coming and he like he flips out and he, he turns around, he starts swimming and the camera pans up and he's swimming the opposite way, like right. out into the ocean. <laughs> that's a, that's a really great gag. But yeah, so many people who like, uh, I think like just as you felt, you know, who can't, actually relax on their trips they're they're still themselves they're not away from anything they're living their lives just the same as they would anywhere else i mean they they go through such a huge effort it's a fucking lot to go to a beach i mean to leave home and go somewhere like that for a week is is a a whole ordeal you you feel like you need to get the most out of it so you're trying to maximize everything but people can't leave their lives i mean you're wherever you go there you are is basically my takeaway like mm-hmm. um your life follows you and who you are follows you you're not going to act any differently than you would at home sure um, there there's something about this that's about escaping and then uh mon uncle is about going home and seeing kind of who hulo is like what's this guy going to do when he's back at home like he's just like a lonely lost guy within paris and then plate Playtime is like escaping Paris. So, like you combine like the themes of the first two, and you kind of get the ultimate Who Love movie. Would you say you like Playtime the best out of all three? Or I do. I I don't even know if I can analyze it yet. It's so <laughs> fresh on the play, and I haven't had a moment to stop and think. But it, it's the funniest. I think there's so much going on with sound gags, and that it's like the heightened level of everything good about these first two. I, I love all of them. I, I mean, almost equally. I, I don't feel like there's like a go watch this one, not those. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you had to pick one that was like the best to show someone first, do you think it would be uh, Montreux Hulot's Holiday or do you think it would be like Playtime? I, I might go with Mon Uncle first, but I, oh, I, okay. But I was on holiday, so this was the only pick. Right. I mean, that, well, why not start here? They're all so good. Yeah. Why, th- why cut this yourself one, short? Uh, I wanted to start at the beginning and it, again it was also just it was thematically relevant for us and I felt like it was a really good entry point because it was so it was, it was kind of like relaxing and easy to take in the character was just so well defined from the first moment he enters screens even before that when he's just driving his car in like you get a sense it's of him funny just too. from his ridiculous outdated car with he doesn't the horn fit. like tied to it. yeah <laughs> it doesn't fit at all and and any and the horn just like it doesn't do anything to the dog who's just kind of lying in the road, it's yeah. so ineffectual. It's so funny. I mean, like those constructions are really 
he has such an eye for like a theater of space too. I mean, he's so theatrical in how he uses space and where he positions people. That Hulo's whole joke is that he doesn't fit. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's enough for me. He's, he's it's philosophically an, funny. He's such an agent of chaos as well. Like everything <laughs> he does, it just it, it messes things up terribly. But but in like somewhat innocuous ways. Like he's not destructive. <laughs> he just you know he's a little cumbersome <laughs> yeah i mean everything he does really does have a like cause and effect result like him just doing his stupid tennis move affects the boy on the tennis table i mean everything he does has a bad outcome for society and it's hilarious it, that's the good part is seeing how it plays out and how it's like the ripples of that wave like uh, there's something about that shot that connects my mind to the movie too because there is like a circular force about it. There is like a tide to the movie where everything is circular and it comes back to the same theme, same sound, same meaning as it does in the start, which is really a beautiful thing. And where I was like, this isn't just a funny movie. Like this is a profound, well-made piece of art. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree with that, especially in the way that it doesn't end on the big climactic, you know, uh, escapade that a, a lot of these kind of comedies usually do. It yeah. has a great tour de force you know, climactic bit with the fireworks sequence, which which made me laugh more than I think anything else in the film because it was just it was so constantly like upping uh, the the chaos there. But uh, it it ends again on that kind of serenity as everyone's packing up to go home. That moment where where the the guy uh, you know says he he wishes to see him again and gives him his his address to meet up with yeah. Mr. Hulo sometime. Um, that that was a really nice encapsulation. I thought of what the the character is how he affected the people around him and the general like warmth of of the kind of film that this is yeah and and it ended on that really nice note that just made me feel uh you know very full i felt very full i mean this one of our our friends granddad's favorite movie which is all i knew going in so i was like hugely (laughs) impressed that there was so much more here to dig into and it wasn't just a family favorite but there's a lot of reason for it to be that's such a wholesome story too, in that he was able to present his grandpa with the version of the film that was streaming, which you know was the same restoration that Criterion has done, and it's the full version. He, he, his grandpa was so elated because the versions he had seen over the years were so severely cut down; they cut right. out so many gags, and he's just so happy to see his, his favorite film in its full form. Yeah, which is which is wonderful. I you know I. I would feel so bad for anyone who would have to watch like a, a cut up version of their favorite film, especially something that's so like life affirming, I think is, yeah. is this is, it's just such a, a, a wholesome and, and endearing film. I I think it's just so waning all around. There's, there's so much personality and um, I, it, it fits well for me. It's the kind of style of a, of a comedy that I could get into that, also, it combines what you like about silent films with what I like, which is good sound design. Yeah, it's a kind of perfect match for us here. Uh, it is, it, and and it really shows in the ways that comedy can be an art, which uh, it, I think we we agree based on discussions that we've had before that American comedy is is dead currently. It's uh, kind of vapid and insipid to kind of sit through at this moment very few great american <laughs> yeah. comedies coming out right now uh <laughs> i can't think of any so 
I, I realized my uh, my shirt I put on is a little bit who who it, 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 it reminds me a little <laughs> bit of it. I was thinking about that as we went on. Like you got the the kind of rocks in the background. It makes me think he's kind of at the beach side. It's a silhouette of a guy drinking a coffee cup. And yeah. it reminds me a little bit like in the same kind of uh, art style that you see the Criterion art, which by the way is is beautiful. Uh, I, I love it. I love the kind of the minimalist character design that they have going on. Yeah, they have a whole complete Jacques Tati set. And uh, obviously, if you like his films enough, it would be pretty good to invest in. Did you get anything from this sale? Are you, are you skipping this month? Uh, I'm, I'm skipping this one. I skipped the, the last one to the, the actual Criterion sale just because... Yeah. Uh, because they're they, releasing uh, Netflix movies. I'm, boy- I'm, I'm actually boycotting because they <laughs> haven't announced The Other Side of the Wind yet, which is a travesty. Uh, and and it's it's really starting to get to me. <laughs> you could just watch it on Netflix. <laughs> I know though. I I wanted to the. I I think one day we'll get it. Yeah, we we've got to. That's our that's our next uh, mountain to climb. We've we've removed Trump from office. Now we need <laughs> Netflix to uh, release the other side of the wind. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe one we'll, day we'll do Trump's favorite film on the podcast. No promises. Let's, let's not let's not uh. Let's not get into that. That guy has a twisted taste on uh, everything. He doesn't understand movies, dude. <laughs> it's funny that even the most innocuous thing he could do would make me mad. Like, uh, uh, what's your favorite movie? Uh, just say, like, Godfather or something. Like, uh, instead, he's like, uh, you know, it's Citizen Kane, but if, for if the he most said, ironic, fucked up reasons. If, uh, you know, I, I have no problem saying this and enraging all of the 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 right people who I'm sure are listening and will write angry comments saying how I'm I have Trump derangement syndrome or some shit. But if Trump said he he liked ice cream, I'd probably throw all that shit all out of my freezer immediately. Yeah, because I just it's awful. I I don't want anything he's he's endorsed in any kind of way. No, uh, no more McDonald's. No no more Citizen Kane. Um, no more movies Look, okay, right. no more america well, well we'll get into the the citizen kane discussion here soon enough once uh we see how david fincher does in telling the story <laughs> we both go watch it before i think i might as well but i don't know if you'll get to it before then. i'm gonna try and watch it because you want me to review it for the site which i'm more than happy to in my obviously unbiased and uh you don't have any stakes in the game which is why i want you to not at all. No, I'm I'm going into this with zero preconceptions about the 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 film, the filmmaker, the story it's about, interpretation of a uh, legendary Hollywood personality that has been derided in media for decades now. How zero, do you feel about Pauline Kale? Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, oh, is is overrated the right word? No, <laughs> no, it's, it's probably not pretentious enough of a word. She she deserves something better than that. Would you say objectively overrated or just <laughs> plain overrated? Uh, uh, I'm 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 just gonna go ahead and say. Uh, yeah, I'll just I'll just leave it at overrated. <laughs> well, we'll come back next week with something. There will what? be a podcast again. We have, to, we have to figure out what we're doing next week. Now that we're back from vacation, I'm a little all discombobulated and I don't remember what our schedule is. We have we have certain a, a lineup set, but I have no idea what it is. So we'll, we'll look into that and, and figure it out and return uh, next week now that we've had our nice kind of relaxing uh, jovial comedy movie. We'll... What do you say though next year we could do Mon Uncle? 
What do you? Yeah, do you yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do more Tati. I, I love Badass. this, and as for someone who is like, I'm, I'm still finding my groove with French movies. Like, I'm like, who, who's my favorite French director? I guess I like George Méliès a lot. Is that my favorite? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it'll be this guy. Uh, this seems like a good option. Yeah, definitely. But I'm glad we we find we we found some common ground in the world of French cinema together here. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. That was fun to do. Yes, I'm so glad. Uh, looking forward to getting together next week. Hopefully not another two weeks again. <laughs>